Uh, it is definitely getting to be a little warmer outside. You may not realize this, but this is the last Sunday in June. Yeah. July 2nd is next week. And that means we are in full momentum summer right now. And so before we go into uh, summer uh, school, and we actually just study from the book of Proverbs, just we'll do a little bit of a survey real quick about summer stuff. How about we do that? So you'll raise your hand when I ask you a question. Quakertown, I expect you to raise your hand as well. If you don't, I'll find out and I'll hunt you down. So here we go. This is an easy one. It's one that we all know. Regards to summer and going away, how many of you are mountain people versus beach people, okay? Mountain people? Beach people. Okay. We know what kind of church this is. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready? Ice cream versus water ice, or as some of you weird Pennsylvania people say, water ice. Okay? Ice cream? Oh, that's surprising. Water ice? Oh, interesting. It's not what I expected. Uh, Quaker Town, in case you were wondering, water ice lost by a lot. All right, last one. Last one. You ready? Grilling food or campfire s'mores? Okay, grilling food. We're not going to even raise our hand for the other one because if any of you raise, you are wrong. Okay? There's a lot to be excited about in the summer, right? There's a lot of things that we're excited about. One of the best things about the summer, actually probably the best thing about the summer is this, the commute, right? We no longer have to drive behind buses that stop every five seconds to pick up a kid. That's the best thing about summer because school is out. And so there are students and kids who are just celebrating and teachers who are celebrating because of that rest. But for some of us, there's summer school, right? And summer school is, is a time to actually either look backwards and study things that you had learned that you might need to review and learn just a little bit more. Or it's a time to look forward and actually accelerate your learning and move ahead. But summer isn't a time to just stop learning. It's a time to actually wise up. And so that's exactly what we're going to do this summer. We're going to take a look at the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs has all of these wise sayings. It has wise sayings about um, work. It has wise sayings about parenting. It even has wise sayings about ruling a kingdom. There's all sorts of things in the book of Proverbs. So welcome to summer school. We are going to be learning about Proverbs, and one of the things that you need to know about Proverbs is that there's this great dichotomy in it that there's this constant back and forth. There's this constant tension before. Proverbs is prevent, presenting to us this life of wisdom, and it's contrasting it to this life of folly. There's this contrast, this dichotomy constantly through the book of Proverbs between wisdom and folly. In the midst of those, there's these little contrasts that are like these subcontrasts underneath it that we see as we see this, this tension between wisdom and folly. And we're going to look at one of those uh, subcontrasts today. And what we're going to look at is the contrast between the life of a sluggard, I love that word, versus the life of diligence. Versus the life of diligence. And so today we're going to learn a little bit of what, about the, what the book of Proverbs has to say about work. Work. But before we do that, I think because it's summer school, we need to step back 
and review a little bit of stuff that we've already learned. We just came out of a series called Reset, where we looked at the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. And what we did in that series is that one of those Sundays, I actually preached about work. I talked to you about work. And so what I want to do is review a little bit about something that we learned in Genesis. We learned a little bit about what was called the theology of work. And what we learned is that God created work. God created work. In fact, God gave a command to humanity to work. In fact, he set the example by working. He created, and on the seventh day, he rested. And then God commanded humanity to to be fruitful and multiply and to work. And the interesting thing about this is that it happened before we sinned, before human beings rejected God. Work was created by God and it was good. It was something that God did. It was something that he gave an example of and it was something that he shared with us by commanding us to work. And this is radically different from a lot of the other ancient texts. If you look at different legends or myths or different ancient texts, what you will see is a radically different attitude towards work. For instance, if you look at uh, the Greek myth of Pandora's box, what happens in that is that there's a god deity who, uh, named Zeus who is angry at another god, and so he decides to take out his anger on humanity, and, and he wants to do this, this, this just vindictive act towards them, and so he gives this woman, Pandora, a box, and he says, don't open that box, knowing full well that her curiosity would cause her to open the box. She opens the box and unleashes seven evils on all of the earth, and The result of that is that humanity is doomed to a life of toil and work. Work oftentimes in ancient literature is a result of something evil that happens. That's not the case in the Bible. The Bible presents work as a gift that God gives us. Work is good. But just like everything that God gave us that was good is corrupted after Genesis 3, work also becomes corrupted and becomes harder. And a curse is laid on work. And this is how humanity exists. But remember in Reset, what we talked about is how God creates. And then because of our sin messing up, we're thrown back into chaos and God steps into chaos. And he brings about reset after reset after reset until ultimately the ultimate reset is had in Jesus. Jesus comes in and he restores all that was broken. And one of the things that Jesus restores is work. One of the things that Jesus restores is work. And in Matthew 28, he gives us a command again. Matthew 28, he gives us a command that echoes the command of Genesis of be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus says to go, go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and be fruitful and multiply as disciples. So in a nutshell, that is the theology of work that we studied in Genesis. So why are we talking about it again? Why are we talking about a work again in the book of Proverbs? Well, first of all, it's because it's summer school. So we're reviewing stuff that we've already learned. Second of all, I think we live in a culture that has a little bit of a problem with work. I think we live in a culture where work still, there's just something wrong about it. 
If work was something that God created that was good, if work was a gift that he gave to us, if Jesus redeems that work and gives it back to us in a redemptive form, why is it that work causes so much stress in our lives today? Let me read you some statistics about work in America. 55% of Americans feel stress every day. 55% of Americans feel stress every day. 80% of Americans feel stress at the workplace. 80%. For 61% of those being surveyed, work was the third highest stress point, with finances and future of our country being the top two. Depression and anxiety account for 51% of work-related health issues. Absenteeism due to depression costs the economy $23.3 billion each year. Workplace stress is linked to 70% of visits to the doctor and 85% of serious illnesses. 70% of visits to the doctor are related to workplace stress. 64% of people who were passionate about their work also felt unhealthy stress about their work. 80% of workers in the United States were stressed, and as a result, uh, they were stressed as a result of ineffective company communication. 70% of people earning $200,000 or more reported being constantly anxious. 80% of workers say work-related stress affects their relationship with colleagues, friends, and family. We clearly have a work stress problem. We clearly have a work stress problem. But the Bible tells us to work. So what are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Okay. So I just read to you a bunch of statistics about how stressed out people are at work. And then I told you a passage from the Bible that says, stop being lazy and work harder. No, I didn't. Not really. You see, I don't believe that this proverb is simply telling us to work harder. It's actually telling us to work biblically. It's actually telling us to work biblically. So let us jump into... The lesson from the ant. The lesson from the ant. Remember that dichotomy of wisdom and folly that I told you about? That's exactly what's happening in chapter 6. What happens in chapter 6 is that there are four sections that are being talked about in regards to folly. There are four essays, if you will, that are being talked about. This is one of them. This is one of them, and it focuses on work. And as we study it, as we study this passage, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to answer who is being talked to, 
What is the warning? And finally, what is the solution? Who is being talked to? What is the warning? And what is the solution? All right, let's jump into who's being talked to, okay? The writer of this Proverbs is addressing the sluggard. The sluggard. That word sluggard is used, is used 13 times in the Bible. All in the book of Proverbs. And I think at times we can look at that word and we simply say, well, it's a lazy person. It's actually a little bit more than that. A sluggard is not simply the lazy Garfield the cat or, or the lazy Otis from Andy Griffith or the lazy, a more recent example that doesn't make me look old that I don't have. <laughs> no, sluggard is more than that. Actually, sluggard is a bit more complex than that. In fact, the laziness of Proverbs looks more like the result of allowing distractions to take hold and deter you from the task at hand. The laziness of sluggard is more like something that starts, but then something comes into the picture, there's some sort of distraction, and the work stops, and there's a refusal to work. And we know that work has stopped. We know that about the sluggard. We know that the description is that there's kind of this, this refusal to do work, but what we don't know about sluggard is what that distraction was. We don't know how that sluggard got to that point. We don't know if it was because of a sickness. We don't know if it was a choice uh, to really embrace entertainment or, 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 or alcohol or, or something like that. We, do, we don't know if there was a death in the family. Uh, we, we don't know if there was some hardship. We don't know how that sluggard became a sluggard. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know that. All we know is that they're a sluggard. But what we also know about the sluggard is this. Grace is offered to the sluggard. Whenever we read of the sluggard, we get different words, different words that are, are telling the sluggard, stop, turn away, do something different, repent, basically. And grace is being extended because what we don't hear are, you will never not be a sluggard. We will never, it's not like a final determination on this person. There's always these, these calls to action. And if you remember, again, summer school, so we're going to go backwards. If you remember again in Reset, what did we see? We saw humanity, they sinned, and then there's a reset. But usually that reset comes with a punishment. But if you looked at any of the consequences in Genesis, if you look at any of the consequences uh, that we study, any of those punishments, there's always an element of grace that is extended in that. And there's an element of grace that's extended to the sluggard as well. And the sluggard needs to be careful. It needs to be careful of not letting this extension of grace pass because the consequences are severe. The consequences are severe. You see, who is being talked to in Proverbs chapter 6? Well, the sluggard is being talked to in Proverbs chapter 6. And the sluggard is given a warning. What is the warning? What is the warning? It's found in verse 11. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Wake up. Wake up, sluggard. Stop sleeping. If you don't stop sleeping, 
Poverty and scarcity is at the door. It will come at you like an armed man. And this is huge. This is so much more intense in that culture when this was being written than even today. Poverty was almost like a death sentence. There weren't many options once you were poor. Once you allowed yourself to get into this situation, there weren't a lot of options. In fact, at times you might have been ostracized from others, or at times you might have tried to solve your solution by being indebted to others. And in that time when you're indebted, it's not like you're just making minimum payments month to month. It's actually more like you're entering into a life of slavery. And this is something that didn't stop. It's something that could be passed on from generation. Poverty in this, this regards, this warning, was something that impacted your family as well. It, it is serious stuff that is being talked about here. Wake up. Wake up. And what we see in the Bible is that the Bible clearly states that the life of a sluggard will lead to poverty. But here's what it doesn't state. I think we need to go off on a tangent and just make sure we address this. While the life of a sluggard leads to poverty, not everyone in poverty is a sluggard. Okay, that's important to make that distinction. Because the Bible is clear. The Bible talks about caring for those who are poor. The Bible talks about loving and, and, and taking care of the needy. The Bible says that over and over again, there are people in life who just end up in that situation because of whatever life gives to them. So while the sluggard leads to poverty, poverty does not mean that that person is a sluggard. But the difference in the sluggard is when you read about caring and taking care of those in need, that doesn't apply to the sluggard in these verses. There's a distinction that's made. And the reason that I think that's important to point that out is this. Sluggardness, I'm going to let that sink in because I just made up that word and I rather like it. <laughs> Sluggardness is not a demographic issue. It's a heart issue. Sluggardness, what the Bible is calling out, is not a demographic issue. It's a heart issue. Let me give you some examples uh, from Proverbs uh, about sluggardness. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21. It says, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. <coughs> All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. The sluggard is not only lazy, he, he craves and he desires more and more and more while the righteous are, are having outward hearts that are caring for others and giving for others. Uh, ver, um, Proverbs chapter 25. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. It's not that the slugger didn't have. What does he have? He has a field. He has a vineyard. He has a wall. But he has no sense. He has no sense. He's been given opportunities, but he does not capitalize on them. And destruction follows. Uh, another example, uh, Proverbs chapter 26. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a slugger turns on his bed. 
A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back in his mouth. A slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. That first verse is talking about excuses that the sluggard is making for not doing work. It's almost comical. It's like, no, 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 I can't do work. There's a lion out there. There's no lion. There's a lion out there. I can't do work. He's rolling over on and over on his bed. He, he buries his hand into a dish of food, but is too lazy to bring the food to his mouth. Not only that, he thinks he's wise in comparison to others, but he's not. The sluggard has food to eat. The sluggard has an ability to work. He has all the opportunities that aren't given to those in poverty that the Bible calls us to care for. And he thinks much of himself and he has this heart that craves more. That is so self-centered and only thinking of self. This is the heart of a sluggard. And this is what the Bible is warning against. And sluggards in the Bible aren't there because of demographics. They've been afforded the opportunities and privileges that were not given to the poor of the Bible. But the sluggard refuses to act on those opportunities and chooses a life of slumber. And the warning for the sluggard is that this life of sluggardness leads to poverty and destruction. Poverty and destruction. So who is being talked to in Proverbs 6? The sluggard. And he's given a warning. Stop. Wake up. Deal with that heart issue. Because if you don't, destruction is coming. <laughs> and then he's given a solution. What is the solution? Stop being the slug and learn from the ant. Stop being a slug. You ever see a slug? You ever touch a slug? They're kind of gross. Fun fact. My wife is a teacher, a kindergarten teacher, and she used to love doing fun teaching things with kids. For one whole year, we owned two pet slugs. <laughs> it is as gross as it sounds. Stop being a slug and learn from the ant. Okay, here's where I get to geek out a little bit, okay? I read this verse, and you know what I think to myself? Which ant? Because, if you didn't know this, there are over 16,000 different types of ants. For every person in the world, there is two and a half million ants. That's a lot of ants. Can you imagine if all those ants were in this room? You'd have to take care of two and a half million ants. There are different kinds of ants. So I started to think of myself. I started to think of myself, that's weird. Started to think to myself. That was awkward. <laughs> started to think to myself, what kind of ant is he writing about? And I started to think, okay, the writer lived in Palestine. What kind of ants were there? What kind of ants are there? I start to look up different ant websites. Did you know you can order different kinds of ants? There's all different kinds of ants you can order on the internet. And I found out that the ant in Palestine that was and is today is the Messer Minor. The Messer Minor. Here's why it was cool. Because as I looked at this, and you can order it on the internet, by the way, but as I looked about at these ants, and I looked at the verses, the common ant in Palestine, this Messer Minor, is a harvester ant. It's a harvester ant. 
And it actually does what Proverbs 6 says. It gathers grain and it stores it away. You know what else it does? It stores this grain away and it makes what the website called ant bread. It makes this ant bread that it shares with each other in the colony. It's fascinating to me because what Proverbs 6 is describing of this ant's behavior is actually what the ants in Palestine do. They gather grain. They store it away. They make bread. That's pretty cool. None of you think that's cool. Okay. I think it's cool. Each ant has a purpose in the greater goal of the entire kingdom. But what happens if an ant wants to take a day off? What happens if an ant says to itself, self, it's time to sleep in. No work today. I'm just going to goof off. What happens if an ant does that? It doesn't happen. They're ants. <laughs> ants don't do that. They continue to play out their purpose day after day without fail until they die. You know why? Because ants are diligent. Ants are diligent. Remember how I told you that Proverbs is a book of dichotomies and contrasts. Chapter 6 urges us not to live lives of laziness, not to live lives of sluggardness, but instead to live lives of diligence, to live like the ant. Diligence is steady, earnest, and energetic work. Biblical diligence adds faith to the mix. And I think that's extremely important because you can be diligent and not be biblically diligent. You can work hard and have a lot of energy in your work. But when you add faith to that, now you have biblical diligence. It is faith that causes us to work earnestly, even though we may not know the outcome of the end of this day. And the reason that we can work diligently without knowing the outcome of the end of this day is because we know the outcome of the end of the story. It is our faith that drives us to live lives of diligence. But what does all of this have to do with work? What does all of this have to do with the statistics I read earlier about work? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. There's something interesting about the book of Proverbs. There's something interesting about the book of Proverbs. I told you that there, in the book of Proverbs, we have this tension of living a life of wisdom versus living a life of folly. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It talks about wisdom over and over and over again. But one of the interesting things about wisdom in the book of Proverbs is this. There's a linking to wisdom to the Son of God. It's almost a, a title, if you will, to the Son of God. If you read through the Proverbs, you see this linking. In fact, Paul continues to capitalize this in the New Testament. If you were to read in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 30, Paul says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. The wisdom of God is linked to the Son of God, and Jesus is the Son of God. To live the wise life is to live the Jesus life. 
To live the wise life is to live the Jesus life. Now, what does that have to do with work? Jesus is constantly working in the New Testament. God is constantly working throughout time. And Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, continues to do that work as he lives life in the Gospels. He is constantly working. And there's an interesting story that happens in the Gospels. John the Baptist, a great prophet, a great man, gets arrested. And while he's in jail, he begins to have doubts. And he says, are you really the one, Jesus? And Jesus replies, and Jesus' proof of who he is, is his work. Matthew chapter 11. John has just asked, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is basically saying, you want proof I'm who I am? Look at my work. Look at the results of my work. The results of my work are healing. The results of my work are lives being completely changed. The results of my work is the good news of me is being proclaimed. Our mission at Calvary Church is to continue what Jesus started. You'll see it plastered over the walls if you walk around this church. We're to continue the work that Jesus started. Why is this so important? Why do we need to talk about work? Because our work needs to proclaim who Jesus is. The result of our work should be that people are healed. The result of our work should be that lives are impacted. The, work, the result of our work should be that people get to hear the good news of Jesus. You see, I don't believe that the lesson of Proverbs is to be a harder worker. I believe the lesson of Proverbs is to be a biblical worker. And biblical workers produce fruit. Biblical workers produce fruit. Harder workers, you just become more busy. You can be busy and still be a sluggard. If there's no fruit, you're just a busy sluggard. What do I mean about fruit? What does that mean to be a biblical worker? There's a gentleman who has had a tremendous impact on my life. His name is Dave Friesen. He attends here at Calvary Church. For years, he has discipled me and mentored me and poured into me. And early on in our time of just learning together and him just uh, teaching me, uh, early on, I was new to working here at Calvary Church. I was, I was new, and he took me to what used to be O'Grady's. And I remember just telling him, I was like, I really don't understand my purpose. Like I was going through a time, I was like, I don't understand my purpose. I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And he flips over the little mat of advertising on the table. He flips over and he starts to write on it. And he said, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And this is what he said. He said, everyone who is a follower of Jesus, has the same calling. 
And that calling never changes in your life. It is to go and make disciples. That is your calling. But throughout your life, throughout that calling, God will place you in different spots and will give you different purposes. But those purposes always have to be looked at through the filter of your calling. He said the problem is, is that everyone focuses on the purposes. They don't focus on the calling. And then I said, I'll pay for breakfast. Thank you very much. <laughs> you see, when it comes to your work, the focus of your work needs to be your calling. It needs to be your calling. You see, when I was a college student, my purpose was to be a good college student and to graduate. But that needed to be done by looking through the filter of going and making disciples. When I worked for a bank, my purpose was to succeed at that bank, to succeed at their work, and be a good worker at that bank, which needed to be done through the filter of going and making disciples, which is the same when I start working at the church. The filter needs to be the filter of going and making disciples. So maybe you're a machinist. Maybe you walk into a factory and, and you make parts every day. That is your purpose right now. How are you doing it through the filter of your calling? You see, your calling never changes. Your purpose may change throughout life, but your calling never changes. It's to go and make disciples. So when you go and make those, those parts on the assembly line and you interact with your coworkers or, or the person that uh, greets you as you walk through the door or your supervisor, how are you proclaiming Jesus through your work? Maybe you're a CEO. Maybe you run an organization. Everyone else is underneath you. When you interact with board members, when you interact with those you supervise, when you interact with customers, how are you proclaiming the gospel? How are you proclaiming Jesus to them? How are you living out your calling in the midst of your purpose as a CEO? Is the purpose of your, is, is the focus of your work to reflect Jesus? Is the purpose of your work to reflect Jesus? If not, you may be successful. You may even be busy. But you're still a sluggard. If there's no fruit, you're just a hard worker. Don't just be a hard worker. Be a biblical worker. Work hard to produce fruit. Work hard in what you do to reflect Jesus. Don't work hard for just yourself. Don't work hard because you want to do it for some other reason. Work hard to produce fruit, to point people to Jesus. Let's not be lazy slugs. Let's be fruitful, diligent ants. That's the kind of church that we're going to be, Calvary. We don't do ministry for the sake of ministry. We don't do big events like Kid Fest for the sake of doing big events. We don't do cool programs for the sake of doing cool programs. We do all that we do through the filter of our calling to go and make disciples. 
And what we desire to be is a fruitful church. We have no desire to grow for the sake of growing. We have desire to grow disciples. We will be a fruitful church. And so we will be diligent ants doing the work that Jesus has called us to do. We will be biblical workers, working hard for the sake of the gospel so that lives can be changed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to work. To work hard, but not just to work hard, but to work in a way that reflects who Jesus is to those around us. To work in a way that proclaims the gospel. To work in a way that produces fruit. Lord, I ask you that you would allow us to be that church to be a fruitful church, that we would begin to see people coming to know you, giving their lives to you, accepting you as their savior, that we would begin to see people around us in our community making decisions to follow Jesus, that we begin to see people growing in their faith, growing as disciples, that we would begin to see fruit that we would be diligent at our work because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Lord, fill us with that passion for the diligent life and let us do everything through the filter of that calling to go and make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.